I love the bridge to the song because it says break open prison doors. Let's set all the captives free. We need to release that river that's inside of us. Amen. You have a river. So come on, spring up a well. Amen. There's going to be joy in the river. All right, let's sing that again. Break open. Break open prison doors. Set all the captives free. Come on. Spring up a well. Spring up a well. Spring up a well.
Lord, we thank you, God. We say that you are the king of our hearts today, God. Have your way in our hearts. Can you put your hand on your heart right now? Just ask God, have your way. Hey, have your way in my heart this morning. the king of my heart through the mountain where I lie fountain I drink from oh he is my soul with the king of my heart through the shadow where I hide ransom for my life oh he is my soul You're good. Oh, you are good. Yeah, you're good. You're never gonna let me down 
You're never gonna let You're never gonna let me down Sing it again to him You're never gonna let You're never gonna let me down You're never gonna let You're never gonna let Bring it up, come on, you're never You're never gonna let You're never gonna let me
Thank you, Jesus. These sovereign, holy moments are going to be more and more. And there'll be times, you know, we won't have anything to say. We'll go really quiet. So just get ready for that. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to prepare just a few moments. I'm going to share a few things, but we're getting ready for the offering. Just a little bit of time. But we want to pray about some matters this morning. And uh, This is a new day. How many of you know that? It's the first day of the rest of your life. You've always heard that, but it really is true. But it's a new day. It's a new day in our nation. We do want to pray this morning for uh, Shirley saw real quickly that another tornado hit Georgia and there were 11 people killed so far. So we want to pray for Georgia. We lived in Hattiesburg, Mississippi and uh, during our journey and so we know where William Carey College is. I think it was, they said, destroyed and there were four people, I think, killed in Petal, Mississippi and um, we know exactly where that is. She was reading, I think, 300 homes. They probably only have 350 homes in Petal. Petal's not that big, but it's around Hattiesburg. So we want to pray. Also, uh, you know, something was broken in our nation this week. You know, anytime a leader declares that God will watch over us or declares his name, I was amazed at how many times the name of Jesus was was spoken at the inauguration. I, I know there are great plans for chaos, but the Holy Spirit restrained. He held back what could have been the chaos that could have been. You know, the church for the first, no, I don't know exactly, not, I just believe, not the first time, but we are becoming salt and light. We really are. I don't know how much we were, and I'm just saying things have changed. It's like the church has arisen and you know we are restraining influence the, the Holy Spirit obviously is the restraining influence I um, this week thinking about all the events that's happened um, I was so blessed to know that Mike Pence had his Bible open to 2nd Chronicles 714 and I you know my thought was God if we prayed enough if we sought you enough Lord, if we turned enough, you know, from our wicked ways, all these things. I don't know if we could ever do enough, but I'm sure standing on 2 Chronicles 7:14, And I believe there's been a remnant that has turned to him and they're seeking him. And, and then you know how you, well, I'm just going to tell you what happened. You know how you get books, people may give you a book and then you don't pick it up for years, you know, like hundred, no, not that many years, but a lot of years. But a guy came through our, the gathering years ago. Couldn't have been too many. He wrote it in 2013. But anyway, he gave me this book, and I didn't get a chance to read it. Just set it aside. For some reason, I was drawn to it. You know, that's the way the Holy Spirit does it. So the name of the book is Healing the Nation, How 2 Chronicles 7.14 Will Reverse America's Downward Spiral and Bring Revival. And so, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking that to me because we would prayed that, and we are praying, and we're believing and he goes on, I'm going to have to read the book now. But he talks about a move of God that will break out in America. And I'm believing for that. Now, you know, some of you are asking some of the same questions I, I am. And one of the things was, Lord, our president said some really bold things. He was 
I mean really bold, like wipe out Islamic terrorism from the face of the earth, things like that. And I asked the Lord about all this, and you know what he told me? He said he made him that way. That's the way the church should be. The church should be bold in their declarations. You know, you know, you look at now the world, the commentators, oh, he can't do that. How do you know he can't do that? How do you know we can do anything through Christ? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I, was, I went back to that time. I learned it years ago. Somebody told me, it's better to shoot for the sun and miss and, and land on the moon than shoot for the moon and miss and land in the ditch across the street. So let's just shoot for the sun. Let's go for it. So I'm thankful God made him that way. We'll have to uh, pray that God will give him the right words and temperament, all those things, you know, and all that. But we want to pray for our new president. We have an opportunity in America like we've never had, at least over the last number of years. Number of years, not just eight, but many years. It's a brief, well, maybe it's long, I don't know. I read something today, too, that, you know, it's t in times of trouble, people look up to God. In times of blessing and prosperity, they tend to look away from Him at the blessing, and they get distracted. So I'm wondering, God, how is all this going to fit? And to much is given, much is required. All I want is what, I want God to show up. And that's what we want, that's why we're here. We want Him to show up in America, and He is. So let's embrace the time, trouble or prosperity. Blessing will bless Him all the days, whatever happens. You know, you may, whatever, right? You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you guys? So we got to embrace the time. I also, so blessed, you know, when you get up there to, uh, you know, do your part at the inauguration, you got to follow your script. And Franklin departed, Franklin Graham departed from the script when he said, you know, when you got up to uh, do your acceptance, being sworn in, it began to rain, Mr. President. And it's a sign of the blessing of God. Well, I'm telling you, it is a sign. And He will come to us like the rain. Like the former and the latter rains of the earth. So, so let's just pray right now. Could we do that? We just pray for Georgia, Mississippi. Um, also for our president. Because you know the gates of hell are rising. Anger, rage. This is fun to watch because the church is going to rise up with love courage and boldness you need that we need that so yeah it's a great time so Lord we do pray this morning for the people in Petal and around Hattiesburg we pray God for your grace and mercy pray you'd raise up many to comfort them and speak the word of the Lord and help them we ask for the helper to come those that lost loved ones we pray for those in Georgia that we heard of this morning Lord we pray for mercy mercy God oh God we ask for help we look to heaven Lord help these families help these people I don't even know the city I don't know where it happened but we ask for the comforter and the presence of the Spirit of God to help Lord bless men and women in those those cities those places Lord, anoint them to reach out and show your love mercy Jesus mercy and father we pray for our new president Lord, we ask you, thank you that you made him to shoot for the sun. And Lord, if he lands on the moon, that's not all bad. But, but we're believing for the highest. You said we're the head and not the tail. Lord, we are those who've been chosen to represent the king.
in this special time on the earth. Lord, we, we have a little fear and trembling, but you said work out your salvation in fear and trembling, so it's nothing new. But our fear is of you, God. You're a holy, righteous God. And we don't take this moment, this time lightly. We know we've been given an incredible opportunity. I thank you, you reminded me again this week, to much is given, much will be required. But then you followed it with those to whom much is required, much grace will be given. So Lord, we receive the grace for this hour to be the church, to be the people of God. But we ask you to bless our president, our vice president. We thank you for them. Surround them, cover them, keep them. We pray a hedge of protection, the wall of fire about them. Lord, every plan, scheme, every work of darkness assigned against them in the secret places, we pray would be spoiled, uncovered, exposed, cast down in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you. You're using all of this. You're using it all. Oh, God, thank you. This is an amazing time. Thank you we get to live. Everyone in this room, everyone watching, they've been chosen to live on the earth, live in this nation or whatever nation they live in for such a time as this. You set our borders. You set the times and seasons of our life, our existence. So we embrace the time. I'm embracing it, Lord. I'm embracing it. And I know everyone in this room is embracing it. We don't know all the answers. We just know you. And those who know you shall be strong and carry out great exploits. So Lord, help us know you more. Help us not be distracted. Whatever comes our way, help us stay focused, resolved, resolute, Lord. Because this is our time. But actually, it's your time. And we give ourselves to you. Jesus, would you be made famous in America again? And in every nation across the earth, God, let your name be shouted abroad. Let the name of Jesus be shouted. The gospel be preached with power and conviction and boldness. From little ones and young ones and shy ones to the older ones. Thank you, God. This is our time. Hallelujah. So bless our president, his family, his children. God, thank you for Mike Pence. Lord, I don't know. Somebody said that they were going to try to squirrel him away for a few moments and rededicate America to the Lord like Washington did. Because there were those who cursed our nation. They said we were not a Christian nation anymore. So I don't know if they did that or not. But we can do it. So we're going to do it this morning. So Lord... Just, hey, get on your knees if you want to. We want to commit or recommit America to the Most High God, just like President George Washington did in that chapel in New York City that when 9-11 happened, the chapel was protected. You know, everything around it was destroyed but that chapel. So, Lord, in Moravian Falls, Lord, hear our prayer. Oh, God, we recommit America our nation to you to the most high god to the cause of the kingdom to jesus christ lord of all the son of the living god all man and all god who lived a sinless life who died and paid the price and then rose from the dead we thank you that jesus lives he is lord of all and lord we know every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess and until that ultimate day 
we bow, we confess, and we surrender our nation to you. We surrender, God, and we ask you to arise, O oh God. Scatter the enemies. Declare your name over every state, every capital. Lord, every family, every man and woman and child. Lord, have your way in America again, God. We've been waiting for this moment. Now loose the church to be the church, to rise up in this hour and to declare your name and your kingdom and your glory and your honor and your power, God. So, Lord, we surrender afresh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. You are Lord of our nation. We declare that. Jesus is Lord over America, over our schools, over our factories, over our businesses, over the mountains and the valleys, over this land, the rivers, the seas. Oh, God, bless our businessmen, Lord. Bless small businesses across America. Cause them to flourish and spring up, God. Lord, let your hand be upon our nation, our leaders. And God, even those that despise you and hate you, we pray for their souls. We ask you, they know, they come to see the love of God. Draw them by your love, we pray. And let the gospel be shouted abroad, Lord. All the things lifted, all the restraints. Open doors, open doors for the gospel. Open doors into Nevada. Open doors into Idaho. Open doors into the plains of South Mississippi. Open doors into Illinois. Chicago, God, the inner city. We loose the gospel and the power of the kingdom over the inner city of Chicago and our inner cities in our nation. Lord, let a transformation happen. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let the glory of God visit this land and the nations of the earth. And we thank you for it, Lord. Give him a shout. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Bless you, God. Praise your name. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. Jesus. Oh, good morning. I've already cried several times this morning. I had so many incredible words and so much of an outpouring of love this morning from all of you guys. Um, I had um, Philip come up to me this morning and he said, you know, I was praying for you last night and I thought, you know, this might be the last time I hear her preach. And then he said, the Lord came on him really strong and said, you tell her to preach like that going forward from this day forward like it is the last time she will ever preach. Because we don't know. We do not know if we will be given another day. Amen. I want to dedicate this message this morning to my daughter and my grandchildren because it is my daughter that really um, got me to, to get into this message. It was last year about this time I was getting my master's in theology and we had a certain list of things that we needed that we could write about, we could write our thesis about. And one of them was the role of women in today's church. And so I looked at that, and my daughter calls me, and she says, Mom, um, and her husband was not raised in the church, Kyle and I went to church, and they told him that women are not allowed to preach. Of course, we don't have that problem here, do we? <laughs> but, and, and he's worried about you now. And, he's, and, and I said, well, you know, there's this, I've got to write my thesis, and I, was, I looked at that, and maybe I should write it on that. And she said, oh, Mom, please do. 
please, we really need that. And I said, shouldn't a man write this? But, you know, I went ahead, and God is always surprising me, always surprising me. This morning, before I get into this, this is a teaching I'm going to try to get, you know, as much as I can in, it'll start a conversation. I'm sure that we won't all agree, and that's okay, too. Um, but we can be gracious, and we can love one another, and um, we can hear what the Lord is saying, because I believe that we have stepped into the age where the bride of Christ is going to be seen like never before. And I think that what's happening with this message and with women is part of that revelation. I think we are on the verge of something that will just totally stun us and stun the world. Now, during worship, I noticed we did a few songs and we talked about the bride. Um, I was reminded of Revelation, Revelation um, 19.5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and all you who fear him, both small and great. The wedding celebration of the Lamb. Then, then I heard what sounded like a voice of a vast throng, like the roar of many waters and like the loud crashes of thunder. And they were shouting, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty, powerful reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Amen. I want to speak that today as a declaration. As a declaration in the earth, I believe the Lord has spoken that to me as a declaration in this church. I want to speak that this morning. So we're going to get into this, and hopefully you guys can follow me. This is the problem I have sometimes. God gives me so much, and I think, oh, my goodness, I know you understand this. I think, oh, my goodness, how am I ever, ever, I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hydrant. How am I ever going to be able to share all of this that you're sharing with me and to share it in such a way that it would make sense and that you could follow and that we could gain something? So my prayer this morning is that somehow there are nuggets here that we can all pick up on and see things about the Lord and about ourselves that we've never seen before. Amen? So there's going to be, so just hang in there with me, you know, and here's another thing. This is one thing I struggle with, so let me just tell you right out, right up front. Um, I wanted to put this on a PowerPoint with all the scriptures because there's lots of scriptures, but I've got this computer and it's kind of old, and yesterday, yesterday, actually the screen went blank on me. Thank goodness I've got it plugged into a monitor and I can see the monitor, but you know, I mean, it's like... I just, I'm not going to be able to do that today. So hang in there with me. I've got a lot of scripture, and um, I'm, you know, I have the Bible, um, the Bible study program on my computer, and so I get it from all different sources. Sometimes it'll be King James, sometimes it'll be New International, whatever. You know, it's from all over the place. All right, so let's begin. First of all, we know, as members of the body of Christ, who have a relationship with Jesus. We know that it is God's plan from the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, before he created us to create people in his image and likeness who will be able to have a relationship with him. And we will be able to have that relationship willingly of our own free volition because we 
love him. First of all, he pours his love out in us, and so our love back to him is a reflected love in a sense because we don't know until he pours his love out in us, right? So this is, this is his plan. His plan is I want people that can worship me in spirit and in truth. And we say that all the time, but we don't really understand what that means. Spirit and truth being honestly from the deepest place of your heart and truth understanding who I am so that you can enter into this relationship with me um, knowingly. Like, you know, at one time, Adam and Eve were youngsters in the garden. They were children. They walked with him in the cool of the day. And he explained all the issues of life to them. You know, it's like my grandkids were driving down the road. Grammy, what does that mean? Why is that there? What is that? Why is that sign yellow? Whatever. And they're walking around with, with the Lord, in the, in, with Elohim, the Bible says, the plural God, in the beginning, and he's explaining everything to them. But of course, we know that they fail and we're going to get into all of that. But now we're coming into a new season. We're coming into a season where we're of bridal age, where all of a sudden the sowing and reaping schoolmaster that we've been under have taught us a few things about ourselves, has taught us a few things about the sin that's in the world and the things that we've done, how we've sown to the flesh and we've reaped death. And how all of those things are just tearing and warring against our congruency and our personhood and who we're called to be. And we're putting those things aside on purpose of our own volition, out of experience and out of knowledge for who God is. And we're coming to him and we're saying, I come to you willingly of my own volition. I love you. I really love you. Yes, I know you love me first. And I am so grateful for that. But today, I come to you of my own volition. I love you. And that's what he's saying. I want you to be able to worship me in spirit and truth. And I did a, a word study on all of that. And, and just suffice it to say that what that means there is exactly what I just said. I want you to know me. I want you to understand the power of my personhood so that you understand the privilege that I am extending to you to be joined with me as my bride for all eternity. This is an outstanding privilege, and I want you to understand it, because if you understand it, then, you're, then there's nothing left but humility and gratefulness and confidence that he loves us so much. Nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I am more than a conqueror in him who loves me. So this is the confidence that he has given us, his love. And so we, we come to that place where we worship him. Jesus said the Father desires that, that his worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. I believe that we are on, in that day. This is the day of maturity. We've talked about this a lot of time, the maturing of two kingdoms. The maturing of the wicked kingdom and everything that's sown to the flesh, and the maturing of the kingdom of God, and the bride of Christ, who someday will be without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, and she will be presented to her bridegroom, and just and everyone will look, and they will say, wow, just like they looked at this, the entourage around Solomon, look at the glory, and the beauty, and the honor of those who serve you. Just like today, we might look at Trump's daughter and his children, and say, wow, Look at how those children love their father. Such honor and dignity. Yes. 
And that is what's going to happen with us. And we are being transformed into that today. How does God explain this stuff to us? How does he get us to understand this and know this about him? Well, he creates us in his likeness and his image. So let's look at that for a moment. Elohim is, is um, God. Elohim created. In the beginning, Elohim created. Elohim being the plural name of God. Hang in there with me. I'm going to build this. You guys with me? Okay, we can do this. We can do this. All right. Like I said, you know, we don't have these, some of these issues in this house. We're a forefront. We're a forerunner house in, in what we are and what we believe. But let's talk about it. Let's start the conversation. Amen. So in the beginning, Elohim created. And God, this is something in, in theology, the law of first mention, especially those things that are in Genesis. We pay special attention to those. But any doctrine in the Bible, you want to go back to the law of first mention. When was this first mentioned? And what context was, is, was it in so that we can get better understanding of it? So in the beginning, Elohim, who is the plural God. But yet we don't understand. He's obscurely taught in the, in the Old Testament. But then it takes us all the way to the New Testament before we're mature enough to be able to understand that that Elohim, that pure, plural God, is actually Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, let's see. David L. Cooper says it like this, a theologian. You begin with the simple. You go to the complex. You start with the fundamental bracelet basic principle, and you develop it in its complexities. That's the law of first mention. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary says, the plural form is obscurely taught at the opening of the Bible, a doctrine clearly revealed in the latter portions of it, namely that though God is one, there is a plurality in the Godhead who were engaged in the creative work. And then, in the New Testament, we open John 1.1 with the same words of... of um, Genesis, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and mercy. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared, the, declared him. And then, of course, Matthew 28 tells us, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see the fullness of that doctrine that was just obscurely mentioned in Genesis, and we didn't really understand it until we saw Jesus. And Jesus said, No one has seen the Father, but if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I have come to explain him to you. I have come to return the face of Elohim to the earth. Because we lost his face. In the garden. We're going to talk about that. So, this is something that the Lord gave me to help me to understand this. The relationship within the Godhead. Governmentally, Father God is the head and occupies the preeminent role in the Trinity. Jesus tells us in John 14, 28, I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Relationally, Father God, who is love, defers to and shares power and authority with Jesus the Son and Holy Spirit. There is no jealousy or striving between them. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no thriving there, no striving there. Jesus tells us, he, Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take of mine and declare it to you. There is no striving. They are holy. That is a term that, that helps us to understand the love that is the center of who God is. God is love. That is him, that is who he is, that is his essence, that is his personhood. And that love is fully congruent. He does not strive against himself, for to do so would be to war against himself. There would be war in the Trinity if they strived with one another, right? So they work with one another. Individually, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each the fullness of deity. They're all God. Therefore, they honor and respect one another. The and Athanasian Creed states it like this. So Father, so the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord. And yet they are not three lords, but one Lord. The Trinity has a unified relationship void of striving. And they live in perfect harmony, mutual respect, and humility. They are holy. Jesus says in Matthew 11:29, Take my yoke upon me and learn from you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some people have a hard time believing that God is humble. And yet he gives us the example of his self, his own personhood, his trinity, to show us that he is humble. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing, and he took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. And because of this, God has raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every, now sh every, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. To the glory of the Father. So, let's talk about how we were created. How is God going to explain all of this to us through our creation? Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28. I'm going to skip around a little bit. Then God, Elohim, is the word he's using, his plural self, said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim, he created him as an entity. Male and female, he created them as an entity. Then Elohim blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over every living thing. So I want to restate this in simple terms after going through and studying it. Elohim said, Let us make Adam the human race in our image according to our likeness. So Elohim created humanity in his own image. In the image of Elohim, he created the human entity which exists as male and female. You guys still with me? So, at first, we remember, Adam was in the garden by himself. Adam was the sum total human from which the woman would spring forth.
So in Adam, we see the unity of the species. Remember, we're talking about the image and likeness of God. He is one, yet he is individual. He's, he's a trinity. In Adam, we see pictured the unity of the species. This unity is a reflection of Elohim. The theologian Albert Barnes states it like this. In this his, Adam's, original state, he is actually one. As God in whose image he is made is one. Initially, we consisted of a singular person that, that Elohim named Adam, which was the personal name for the male human and also a generic name for the species. Barnes' commentary says, The single man created the full representative and potential fountain of the race. The first man is not only an, an individual, but as long as he is alone, he is the sum total of the race. You guys wrapping your mind around it? All right. Hang in there. All right, so now we see that Adam names the animals. And in the, and in the Genesis story, we understand that the, Adam, the animals are brought to Adam first. And when he encounters them, if you look at that scripture, it's like, whoa. And there's, there's so much awe. It's like a child discovering something for the first time. And he really, really grapples with them and really be, understands them. He has a, in order to name an animal, that, that um, implies a certain mastery over that animal. So he really began to understand them. God created the animals, male and female. Together, they were the fullness of the, of the species. Each species consisted in a male and a female, and together they formed the species. And together, they were, they were able to multiply. And so surely he recognized this. So in the animal species, cohesion between the male and the female is instinctive and it's uncomplicated by higher intelligence. But God gave us intelligence and the freedom to serve him or rebel for a season. So knowing the path that we would eventually choose and the conflict and, the hu and hostility that we would devolve into, Elohim took special care in the creation process to engrave cardinal and governmental truths upon us. Um, Hebrew scholar James Murphy says, Adam met with his superior in his creator, his inferiors in the animals, and he was now to meet his equal in the woman. So in Genesis 2.20 we find, but for Adam there was not a helper comparable to him. The theologian Adam, um, Adam Clark remarks, if that scripture that I just read to you, but for Adam there was not a helper comparable to him, if that, if the words be rendered scrupulously, literally, it signifies one like or as himself standing opposite to or before him. And this implies that the woman was to be a perfect resemblance of the man possessing neither inferiority nor superiority, but being all things like and equal to himself. So we know that as when Adam was by himself, he was solitary. He was kept from conflict. But woman brings peer feedback, opportunities for abuse, and also growth. It also causes him to think beyond his self-centered desires and consider the needs and the opinions of her in order to keep their unity. So what does God do? He introduces Adam to the animals he gives, them the he gives him the opportunity to recognize that this, this is um, how um, 
multiplication happens, he can see how they work with one another and how they're bonded to one another, and he's desiring the same thing. He's wanting the same thing. The Bible says he's looking for somebody comparable to him, and he can't find them. He wants that. And so God is taking the time to, to, for, for love to develop in his heart, for passion, for desire, for love to develop. God took time for that. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, oh, before I get to that, and then when he was finally determined, I will have, I want my comparable species counterpart. The Bible says that, that he, that God put him to sleep and pulled her from his flesh. Now, this reminds me of Jesus. Remember, we are created in his image and likeness, and in the story of our creation, we see the face of God in the way that he created us. Let's keep that in mind because that's going to be developed here. John 10, 11 through 18, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Therefore, my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. And this command I've received from my father. And I believe that when Adam said, I am willing, I'm ready, yeah, do it. Take a piece of me. That this was a picture of what Jesus Christ would do. Everything. It, it, Adam is giving a part of himself to gain his bride. Elohim created the human species male and female. Nowhere is there any indication that Adam, the singular one, was androgynous. God did not create them androgynous than male and then female. As the cardinal fails, first he was male in his person because God only created male and female. His education in animal husbandry tells us that he was intelligent enough to recognize that he possessed a male body and that his species counterpart would be female who brought forth children. Adam was created first, making him the fountainhead of the human genome. Once again, the first Adam, the fountainhead of the genome, we're seeing Jesus again. Jesus Christ is our creator and thus the fountainhead of all life physical and spiritual, he is unsurpassed in his preeminence. When he came to the earth as the second Adam, Jesus left his previous state in heaven, just like Adam did, left his previous singularity, and willingly gave his body as a sacrifice to gain a bride from the human race. 1 Corinthians 15.45 tells us the scripture, the first man became a living person, the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What came first was the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust. Christ, the second man, came from heaven. So we see that Adam and woman were both fully human. Adam was not diminished when woman was made. He retained his personhood, his individuality. He, he maintained his preeminence as the first he maintained all of that. He maintained um, all of the um, glory and all of the things that God had given the human race. He maintained all of that when, when, he, when he got his counterpart. Um, Adam shared his dominion, glory, and riches with woman. 
And likewise, we humans have been given profound riches through our union with Jesus Christ. Once again, showing that the bridegroom shares with the bride. Our spiritual and eternal life originates and springs from Jesus Christ. We humans become his bride, but we never actually overtake Jesus. He still retains his personhood. Jesus retains everything, including his position as creator. He is not changed or diminished by giving us spiritual life. And in addition, the glory, wealth, and privilege of Jesus is not reduced when he shares these things with us. We literally become possessors of the riches of Jesus Christ, and what is his becomes ours as the bride of Christ. Amen? And, of course, Jesus tells us that in John 14. The truth is that anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, For he, God, raised us from the dead along with Christ, and we are seated with him in heavenly realms, all because we are one in Christ Jesus. Look at the privilege. That How could he have ever explained that to us? John 4, 15, the Amplified, Anyone who confesses, acknowledge, owns that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides, lives, makes his home in him, and he abides and lives and makes his home in God. When a person is in agreement and union with Jesus Christ, the atmosphere becomes like a home, filled with rest, void of striving and arrogance. This is the place in the human heart that Elohim calls home. And when he finds his home in us, we become the happy recipients of his pleasure, favor, and power. What? We can't make this stuff up. This is amazing. When Elohim brought Adam his species peer, he received her in love and they were instantly at home in each other's hearts. There was no posturing for preeminence or fighting over dominion. They naturally shared the pleasure, power, and riches that Elohim had given them. There was no striving or competition between them. In this perfect state of love, they were a profound reflection of the oneness of the Trinity. Their governmental order and love for one another was the core essence from which they entered into that covenant of unity with the power to procreate. Amen. In summary, Adam, first and second, is the governmental head in the human relationship. One is natural and one is spiritual. In both instances, love is the binding force that compels the governmental head to freely share the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 11.3 I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. In this scripture, the order of authority is established. God the Father, to Jesus the Son, to man, to woman. The father freely gives to the son, who freely gives to the man, who freely gives to the woman. So, we dare not war against what Elohim has established. Genesis 2.23, Adam sees the woman. He says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, because she was taken out of Ish. Therefore, an ish shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his isha. 
probably saying that wrong. And they shall become one flesh. Adam recognized the woman as his species counterpart and therefore his most essential and valuable relationship. His commitment to cling to her in unity was his highest duty and desire. You guys hanging in there with me? Okay. So Ephesians 5.25 tells us husbands should treat their wives loving them as part of themselves. Duh. For since a man and his wife are now one, a man is really doing himself a favor and loving himself when he loves his wife. No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for his body, the church, of which we are parts. So again I say, a man must love his wife as a part of himself, and the wife must see to it that she deeply respects her husband, obeying, praising, and honoring him. So the divine order for the relationship between a husband and a wife can be expressed like this. All right. Let me get a drink. Governmentally, Adam the male was created first, thus occupying the preeminent role in the relationship. His position is further emphasized and assured by endowing him with a larger stature and more strength. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Relationally, Elohim made certain that Adam would defer to his mate out of love by waiting for him to mature in his desire for her and then forming her from a portion of his flesh. Ephesians 5.25 again, husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church. So husbands ought to love them as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For this phrase, and a man shall leave his father and his mother, and they shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So there we have it in the creation of Adam and woman created in the image of Elohim. How can we separate Jesus from Father, from Holy Spirit? We could spend the rest of eternity trying to figure that out in our minds. I used to try to do stuff like that. It's, it's impossible. How do, you, how do you figure all that out? Individually, Adam and Eve are both fully human. One is not more human than the other. As such, they are both recipients of the command to exercise dominion over the earth. Also, they are both created by Elohim personally and belong firstly and ultimately to him. This fact places a moral obligation upon both parties to relate to one another in honor, respect, and humility. Neither party has grounds for species arrogance. Same within the Trinity. No member within the Trinity has grounds for arrogance. They're all deity. We are made in their image. Now we're going to talk about Satan the usurper for a moment. At the, at the union of Ish and Isha, Adam and woman, the angels beheld their oneness, their individuality, and their bond of love. In addition, they were both clothed with the glory of Elohim. Well, this presented an astounding mini-picture of the image and likeness of the Trinity. There was no striving or incongruence among them. They had pure affections toward Elohim and one another. They were holy. 
Be ye holy, for I am holy. That term, remember, it's a, it's, we will never, that's another one. Never going to be able to completely take that term apart. But it means set apart, separated, not mingled with something strange, but set apart and holy. They were, they were holy. Well, we know the deceiver hate, that Satan hates God. And I'm sure he saw that picture, that little mini picture of the image and likeness of the Trinity. And that was not going to work. He hates God and he seeks to steal their affections away from Elohim and each other in his quest to mar and destroy the image of Elohim that they conveyed in their created perfection. Satan's lies penetrate the hearts of Adam and woman, which is, results in spiritual adultery. How could God ever explain to us that it really hurts when you go and you serve other gods? Because I'm your God. You're supposed to be married to me. You're supposed to be in covenant with me. You're not supposed to worship any other gods. Have no other gods before you. How could he do that without, he gives us our, our male, male and female relationships and how badly it hurts when there's adultery, right? How else could he explain such a thing to us? And so he says, Satan, Satan comes along and he wants to steal their hearts. And the Bible over and over again says, this is spiritual adultery. You're a harlot. You went and you fornicated with demons. They literally exchanged their devotion for the true God and looked to a stranger to be their God. They exchanged truth for a lie. Romans 1, 20 through 27. This is a long one, but I really felt the Lord wanted me to read this this morning. Every since God created the world, his invisible qualities, both his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. They are perceived in the things that he has made. They know God, but they do not give him the honor that belongs to him, nor do they thank him. Instead, their thoughts have become complete nonsense and their empty minds are filled with darkness. They say they are wise, but they are fools. Instead of worshiping the immortal God, they worship images made to look like mortal men, birds, animals, reptiles. And so God has given these people over to do filthy things, filthy things that their hearts desire, and they do shameful things with each other. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve what God has created rather than the creator who is praised forever. And because they do this, God has given them over to their shameful passions. Ever, even the women pervert the natural use of their sex by unnatural acts. In the same way, the men give up natural sexual relationships with women and burn with passion for each other. We're talking about spiritual adultery, which is what Adam and woman stepped into when they, started, when they listened to the lies of Satan. Penetrated spiritually by Satan's lie, a true and definitive break occurred in Adam and woman's union with Elohim. And immediately, Holy Spirit departed, leaving them naked and dead. When this occurred, now remember, without God, apart from God, we're dead. That is the technical definition, period. They're walking corpses. They're dead. When this occurred broken away from God, they were obscured in their ability 
to behold the likeness and image of Elohim. And this resulted in an inability to rightly discern themselves. As Adam and woman listen to Satan and his lies, their personas begin to change. Like disappearing ink, their true faces, made in the image and likeness of Elohim, were fading and being replaced by the hard and hateful features of Satan, the father of lies. Jesus said in John 8, 42, For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth. There's no truth in him, and when he lies, it's consistent with his characters. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So, I think of, when I think of this, I think that when we take on, when, when we take on the persona, if that's what we're looking at, if that's what we're worshiping, anything but God. When we take on the persona of Satan, the more, the more a person takes on, the, the more a man or a woman take on the persona of Satan, the more, let me say it like this, the more a man takes on the persona of Satan, the more a woman's face disappears. Because Satan is trying to erase the image of Elohim so that we do not understand who the bride of Christ is. So we look around and we see hatred for women, this misogynist spirit that's in the earth, and they're hiding, behind, they're hiding them behind burqas because they do not want their faces to be seen. Satan, their father, hates the unity and the beauty and the image of Elohim that's reflected in covenantal love where there is no striving. He hates it where there is unity yet individuality honor, governmental order. He hates that. I'm going to sh shift just a little. Everybody good? You good? Okay. I know we're running up against the time. Can I, can I have a few more minutes? Okay. I guess if, if you have to go, you have to go. Um, okay. Huh? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> All right, Jesus, the stumbling block. The shame of the cross made Jesus Christ a stumbling block to the pride of humanity, and especially the male ego fashioned by Satan. It could be any ego. I'm not, I, I mean, really. Who has little to no tolerance for shows of humility or seeming weakness. Jesus is humble, and he is God. As God, he is of a caliber that we shall never be or become. To model his love and humility in our minds, hearts, and deeds is the highest wisdom. Unfortunately, in our fallen nature, we sometimes imagine that he shares our arrogance against others, especially women. And tragically, this leads some women to pity themselves for their low-born stature. This, of course, is a lie. It directly contradicts the true identity of the first woman, who is the archetype of the Bride of Christ. Therefore, if we pity a woman as lowborn and dishonorable, then we have to pity both the male and the female members of the Bride of Christ. Are we ready to do that? Of course not, not in this house. Galatians 3.26 For you are all sons of God through Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, 
slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Clearly, Scripture teaches that male and female are one in Christ. There are no limiting distinctions. This is a foundational truth. Jesus was persecuted the same way as women. Jesus was a stumbling block to the religious leaders who plotted to kill him because he carried in his personhood an authority that shocked them. Matthew 13:53 says, He, Jesus, taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty words? And is this not the carpenter's son? And where did this man get all these things? And so they were offended at him. As a human male, he was their peer. However, he was considered lowborn, and the religious elite had no tolerance for a religious leader who lacked the requisite pedigree. They could not imagine that God would break the rules and anoint him since he was not under their authority. In this way, Jesus suffered scorn in much the same way that a woman might suffer when she's honestly anointed for leadership and yet rejected because of her low-born gender, which is a stumbling block to the fallen nature. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And I already read this, but he humbled himself and to obedience to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is true Christianity. It presupposes humility and possible persecution, while at the same time reminding, remaining confident in God's love. Proof of ministry. God the Father released Jesus the Son into his ministry when the Holy Spirit came upon him. This was his proof of ministry. Jesus did not try to go out there and make his own way and prove his deity and flex his muscles. He waited for the Father to release him. That was his proof of ministry. Matthew 3.16, when he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and suddenly the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus gave us the bride of Christ, of which woman is the archetype and the shadow and the type, incredible authority when he sent Holy Spirit to anoint male and female. Acts 1, 4 through 14, we know the story. Being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then it goes down and it says, And these all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were all there. And then the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, and they were all in the room, including women. Women were filled with the Holy Spirit, which was the proof of ministry that Jesus had. He gave the same proof of ministry to women. So, governmental authority. 
The Bride of Christ has been, governmental authority, has been given governmental authority that exceeds what we might consider appropriate given our weaknesses. In Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, 5 through 8, in our union with Christ, he's raised us up to rule with him in the heavenly places. So how can we be trusted with this? Isn't it arrogant to think that the bride of Christ could sit on a throne of authority and rule and reign with him? And hasn't history proven that we continually get it wrong? How can we walk in this delegated authority? Well, first we remain humble, grateful, respectful, and honoring. We, male and female, are never allowed to usurp our bridegroom, Jesus, ever. In the same way, a natural bride should never usurp her groom. Now, some ignore the original ten of Elohim, and they use the words of Paul. 1 Timothy 2.11, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgressions. And there are so many books with so many things to say about that, so I don't even need to. In this argument, it is inferred that the fall of Adam was less important to Elohim and therefore, he can still be trusted with dominion. If we follow this logic, we would have to believe that God withdrew the dominion authority that he gave woman and therefore reneged on every type and shadow that she is and that he so carefully established. And if this is true, then he reneged on all associations to Jesus Christ, to the second Adam, and his sacrifice to gain a bride and share his glory with her. And it's a preposterous idea. It goes against all sound doctrine to assert that he encountered something he did not expect and therefore reneged on his original design and intent and then backpedaled to undo the foundations that he laid in Genesis. In truth, Adam did sin. Therefore, how can he be trusted to exercise godly authority over creation or women? I'm getting this all. Everybody's involved. In the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary, sums it up like this. Adam was the greater sinner of the two, inasmuch as without the pretext of temptation or being carried away by the force of excited feelings, but in the most cool, deliberate manner, he fortook of the forbidden fruit and had the impious audacity to charge God with having laid a snare to entangle him through the baneful influence of the woman that had been given to him. I think we can agree that clearly both parties are sinners. And in this way, we're unworthy to carry godly authority, governmental authority in the earth. But love conquers all. Even though we're filled with immaturity and not worthy of the authority that we've been given, the bride of Christ is exhorted to come boldly into his presence through the blood of Jesus Christ, trust that the door is open and the scepter is extended, and instead of looking down on us and scorning us as ignorant underlings and sinners, Elohim is delighted to give us the kingdom. We have been given an oversized and undeserved gift, and it requires faith to believe and receive it. Amen? So, do not usurp. Jesus Christ did not enter into his ministry until he was approved by God, divinely credentialed by the Holy Spirit. He did not promote himself. To do so would have been a usurpation of the lines of authority within the Trinity, introducing lawlessness, division, and strife. Jesus would never usurp the Father. Instead, he remained humble, and the Father gave him all authority. Father God was not looking for opportunities to subjugate Jesus and remind him of his lowly position in the divinity. 
Jesus was not looking for an opportunity to flex his eagle and show the world how important he was. Jesus Christ modeled for us how to operate within authority and follow the rule of love, which he did with confidence. While humbling himself under the Father, he never once believed he was inferior, and it actually would have been a lie for him to pretend to be such. In the same way, no person, male or female, should ever think of themselves as an inferior individual. Elohim created us in his image and likeness, and our worth is immeasurable. Even the angels understand this. Why do you think Satan hates us? If we disrespect one another, we disrespect our creator. To do so is to wage war against him. This is precisely what Satan has been doing since the Garden of Eden. Remember, it is his goal to mar the image of Elohim in us and replace it with his image so that we can model arrogance and violence. No woman should ever usurp a man. To do so would be lawlessness, resulting in division and strife. In, no, in like manner, no man should ever usurp Elohim by, by denigrating the woman created in his image and likeness to foreshadow the bride of Christ. As the Trinity is honoring and humble between themselves, we must be among our fellow humans, regardless of gender, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, these are my closing statements. We're doing good. Woman is a stumbling block to pride. I often wondered, in my early years, why God would unapologetically allow the biblical prophetess Deborah to be a governmental leader over Israel, and then in the New Testament tell women to be quiet. Clearly, God is not contradictory, and he is not a man that he should change his mind. Holding this cardinal truth as my starting point, I never found peace in the view that women cannot teach, preach, speak, or have positions of leadership. I believe this is in direct conflict to the value that God places on the human species as a whole, created in his image and likeness, and it wrongly implies that he is condescending and even hateful toward women. This is in direct contradiction to his actions toward his bride, that he purchased with his blood and filled with Holy Spirit, male and female. In addition, it goes against clear examples of scripture, in scripture of women doing all of these things. And so one day in prayer, I asked the Lord, God, why is this issue so confusing? It would have been really easy for you to give us a really good scripture or a really good teaching from Paul that says, okay, women, you've been, you know, given, you're the, you're, you're the archetype of the bride of Christ and you've been given all authority just like the bride of Christ and you can make it all just, you know, why does it have to be so confusing? And I heard the Lord say in my spirit, I have purposely allowed the confusion as a stumbling block to pride. This was like eight years ago when he said this to me. I was like, what? You left it there as a stumbling block to pride? In a flash, I thought of Jesus, the suffering Savior, who became a stumbling block, his humility to the pride of man. I also remember Jesus speaking to the Pharisees about divorce, Matthew 19, 4 through 9. And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. 
And they said to him, well, then why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Because we're made in the image and the likeness of Elohim. And he doesn't want us to divorce him and go have whoring relationships with other gods and demons. The response of Jesus reveals the patience of God in allowing for our ignorance and immaturity until the time's come for an adult conversation, until we're grown up enough that we can have that conversation. And then we've got to move on. Jesus reminds us that fallen man has always been at war with original intent and design because his father is Satan. And this can and does lead to laws and customs that accommodate our sinful nature. Meanwhile, while we codify our customs and make room for our lack of love, God is very comfortable and adept at testing our character and rooting out our pride with difficult verses about the role of women in the church. Will we choose original intent and the way of love, or will we cozy up to our selfish traditions? For those who love truth and genuinely desire to be transformed into the spotless bride of Christ, we will study the scriptures with fear and trembling and let the living word of God be true and every man a liar. Jesus is returning to take unto himself a spotless bride that loves one another according to the image and likeness of Elohim. The world will glimpse the true Elohim through us and know that his essential nature is God. I believe this is the next great step in the body of Christ as we come into full maturity as the bride of Christ. We have no choice but to reflect original intent and design for the male and the female. We are called to lead on this. The progressive nations are trying, but they don't know Elohim as their starting point, and therefore they are flawed and they will never arrive at the truth. This is why we have so much confusion concerning gender identity. The Lord is desiring to restore his face in the male and the female relationship. We've been looking too long at other faces. We behold Whatever we behold, we become. We need to behold Elohim and see ourselves in him and his original intent and design for us and see how we, he was telling us a story about his love for us as his bride, that he wanted us in the fullness of time when we had matured, Jesus came in the fullness of time to be able to intelligently worship him in spirit and truth and say, I love you. I want to spend eternity with you. I devote myself to you in purity and cleanliness. I will not serve another. Amen? That is it. That's my message today. <laughs> Now, Pastor may want to say something, but I know we have um, some ladies here this morning that were at Mary's house for a retreat, and, and of course, Kim Abbott, our, our worship team lady, she's one of them. And they'll be around the altar. Should anybody just want to just want somebody to pray for them, or or sh or you want to share something, and we'll be here to pray and talk to you. But in this house, this house, Pastor David, years ago, he, he asked me to be a pastor. It blew my mind. 
So we know, I know we don't have that problem with this couple because they love us. And they don't have those issues. But you know what? Those are huge issues in the body of Christ. Those are huge issues in the earth right now. And we need to make a commitment to ourselves that we will never, ever look down upon someone else. And then when someone else looks down upon us, we're not going to think less of ourselves. We're confident. We know who we are in Christ. They look down on Jesus. He didn't get depressed. He knows who he is. Deborah, so you need we. to pray and break something. Okay. okay. Just pray generally. And then we're going to have these ladies that are okay. here for a retreat around the altar. And we're going to pray. Things are going to happen this morning. Stuff's going to be broken off of people. So you get ready. But I got to tell you this one thing. I got a text from some of our church family in Mobile, Alabama. They said when we prayed to recommit America to the Lord, it began to rain in Mobile. Yay, God. But now the sun is shining. Now the sun is shining down there. So Amen. praise God. Amen. Go ahead, pray. Break something. So, so Heavenly Father, we are so honored and so grateful for this outsized and amazing gift that you presented us with in yourself. For you are truly the desire of our hearts. You are the desire of the ages. You are the desire of the nations. Father, we, the story that you put together for us to be able to understand you just blows our mind and it causes us to love you even more. And Lord, we lay aside all of those weird things that we used to think that don't conform to your image and likeness. All of those vain imaginations and every high thing that used to exalt itself against you, Lord, we lay them aside today. And Lord, we stand before you, who you say that we are, and we believe you. We actually believe you. We believe that you love us and that this is a love story and we're all in. We are 100% in. And Father, I just pray for everyone out there that will ever hear this message. I pray for everyone out there, Lord, who has been um, whoring around with other things. That, Lord, you would touch their hearts and that you would show them how much you love them. And that they would, they would come back home. They would come home to the face of Elohim and to who they really, really are. And that you would be able to take up um, a place in their heart and they would take a place in your heart. And together there would be no striving, but there would be love, which conquers a multitude of sins. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. I pray for everyone in this place today. Lord, I pray for this, this body, this church, our pastor, all of the leaders. Father, I pray that this would explode, this revelation would continue to explode, and that every chance that we get, Lord, that we would be about proclaiming the good things and the love that you have for us as your church. In Jesus' name. And some of you need a mother's blessing today. You just need a hug and a blessing as a mother's blessing. And so... And some of you have, have things you need the prayer of agreement with. So we invite you to come forward. These ladies have come from all over the United States and come away to minister to the Lord. And so it's just an honor to have them all here this day. But come forward. We want to bless you with a mother's blessing. We want to come in agreement with you in prayer for what you're needing in Jesus' name.